So I'm going to read from 1 John chapter 2, beginning with verse 15. Now, do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving of physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. Ouch, right? Like, have a good day. God bless. So, these are not from the Father, but are from the world. And the world is fading away. The world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. Have you ever craved something, and you just had to have it, only to get it, and then it's like, eh, it wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be. It's like all those, those commercials, you know, oh, like my wife is the worst. Where it fall, she like falls victim to every marketing technique out there. Oh, honey, I need a Snickers bar right now. I just, it's, it looks so good. Like, no, it doesn't. Stop that. We canceled cable for this very reason. Like, it was breaking me. It wasn't the cable bill. It was watching it. Stop that marketing. The world's fading along with it to everything that people crave. But anyone who does who does what pleases God will live forever. Now turn with me to the book of Romans. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Chapter 7. Paul writing this. And he's talking about sin. He says this. So the trouble... Uh, 7, beginning with verse 14. So the trouble is not with the law, for it's spiritual and good. The trouble is with me. Did you catch that? The trouble is with me. For I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Not too many amens. None of y'all have ever been there. Nobody. Nobody in this room. But if I know what I'm doing is wrong, it shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is the sin that's living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is right, but I can't. Did somebody come here this morning, and man, you've been trying. You want to do what is right, but for some reason, you just keep messing up. I'm all by myself, son. Well, I guess I need a, where's a mirror? Somebody get me a mirror, and I'll just preach sin to myself this morning. Gosh, this is just for me. All right, y'all, y'all just bear with me. Just beep. all right. Where was I at? Some sinful nature. I want to do it, but I can't. Okay, I want to do what is good, but I don't. I want to do. I, I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing the wrong. It's the sin that's living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life that when I that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. (sighs) 
I love God's law with all my heart. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power, it makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Man, I read this this week. I just read it over and over. And last night, I was laying in bed and I was just reading it again. And, and it just something, something clicked and I realized, how many times did he use the word I and me? And I tried to count, but I, I tried like seven times, but I kept like one, two, he used at least over 30 times. Like y'all could go home and count how many times, but I, I kept losing fingers and I couldn't, couldn't do the math. I and me. And I just thought about myself, you know, maybe you've grown up and maybe you've attended church for, for the good majority of life, or maybe you come from a different background, and, and whenever the preacher gets up and he starts talking about this idea of sin, this, the, the construct of sin, it always becomes, uh, or for, at least for some of us, it was always about your sin. Your sin, your, and, and this, and, and, and but when, when Paul, the individual who pens a good portion of the New Testament, begins to deal with this issue of sin that he's writing to these people and to this church, he says, my sin, me, I, I have a problem. I have discovered this at work, that, man, I want to do good, but I, I mean, it's very personal to him. It's very personal to him, this struggle, and he's just kind of releasing his heart. Man, I, I'm doing this, uh, 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 me, the trouble is with me. Not the trouble is with you. The trouble is with me. The trouble is, and, and I just thought to myself, God, at, at what point did we kind of lose this? At what point did we lose the personal idea of that, like, when we are struggling with something, when we are struggling with sin? And, and, and for some of us, it comes in, in, a, in a few different ways. And I think one, one big point, I think, that for most of us will we'll struggle with or have this moment in our life is the moment where things start to get better for you. Your life starts to take a, a, a turn and, and you're growing closer to Jesus. But then all of a sudden you're confronted with someone else that's struggling with sin. And then you have this moment where you look down on them. Because you've never done that. You, you, you've, never, you've never looked at a homeless person or someone that's involved with prostitution or their uh, sex trade or whatever it is and just thought, how could they? And there's that moment where all of that inside of you, that little, that little thing of pride wants to look down at them, and all of a sudden sin becomes a them problem, and it's no longer a me problem. That could be a moment for some of us when we begin to look down on others. And another moment when it comes to dealing with sin and where we could make the turn to basically go that Pharisee route and sin becomes about you or, or it stays with what the Apostle Paul here is talking about it is a moment where 
we want people to believe that we are better than what we really are. The moment where, man, I'm more concerned about what you think about me and how I perceive everyone else and how I want everyone else to think how good I am than what I really am. Um, a few weeks ago, I, don't know, I say a few weeks ago, it could have been a year ago, could have been, I, time and me don't, Kyle knows that, we don't, I don't know, you know, the other day, so, <laughs> the other, I, I talk with Devin about this stuff, and I'm like, yeah, I just told you that the other day, like, honey, that was six years ago, I don't, I don't, I don't know, I, I have no clue, I, I have like four watches, they do me no good, so, the other day, we're having some of our leaders together for a meeting, and so I kind of have this little presentation that I'm going to put on the screen for them, and I'm hooking up the little Apple TV to get it all ready, and it's actually, I think the pastors were coming over, some of the pastors of the church, there's, there's seven pastors here, and, and we were gathering together, and I, I was testing the Apple TV to make sure it worked and could get on the screen and the technology and all that, and I get it going, and I said, oh, I'm turn on iTunes, and I was like, well, you know, they're they're going to be a few minutes. I'm pop on Transformers because who doesn't like Mark Wahlberg? You know, he's awesome, you know. And so I'm, I pop on Transformers. And actually, I think it was one of the earlier ones with the other kid. Um, he's good, too, whatever his name is. He's not Mark Wahlberg, but he's good, too. And uh, so I transfer, and there's this moment in the scene where it comes on, and there's this lady walking up the stairs, and she's, like, kind of half naked. And but it, it's a good—but it, you know, I, I, I hit the— <laughs> Let me finish the story. She had on clothes, but it was in the movie. And so she's like, she's walking up these stairs, and I'm in this house where there's just windows everywhere. Right? And I'm thinking, well, well pause or, or stop or, you know, not pause. Stop. <laughs> and y'all got me all thrown off. I've discovered that the problem is me. Um, so I hit, I hit, I hit back. Right? And the, and the Holy Spirit just kind of spoke to me. He's like, why, why did you, why'd you stop it? Did you stop it because of that scene? Or did you stop it because you were thinking the other pastors might come in the room and think you were watching something you shouldn't be watching? I said, I'm pretty sure it was B, God. <laughs> pretty sure it was B. <laughs> and uh, I said, man, the hypocrisy in me. And then later on, I think it was a few days later, um, I, I pulled Alan aside and I said, man, I had this moment and this is what I did. And I was just like, I, was, I felt like such a hypocrite. And to which Alan stepped forward and, well, let me tell you about what I did the other day. I was like, oh, you made me feel so much better. Thank you. You're messed up. You're more messed up than I am, dude. You need to repent, bro. Like, so he, he, like, he told me this and I'm like, yeah, we're a bunch of hypocrites. Like we're leaders of the church. And, and then, and then I, I read this scripture that Paul writes, and Paul's saying, yeah, I, I'm a hypocrite. And then I remember, wait a minute, hold on. Paul has this earlier conversation in the book of Acts with Peter, who Peter's the leader of the emerging church. And Paul has to rebuke Peter because, you know, Peter's a hypocrite. Because Peter's eaten with some Gentiles and not eaten with some of the other Jews. And Paul's like, whoa, 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 hold on. Do you not see your hypocrisy? And, and then I look back and I think about King David, and there's a story where a prophet comes to him and begins to tell him this story into which David's like, oh, we need to kill that guy. And to which the prophet's like, no, 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 that guy's you. 
oh, well, that's not killing. Um, and David's like, yeah, I, I'm a hypocrite. The moment when the hypocrisy reveals itself, not in someone else, but when it reveals itself in you. Have you ever heard people, man, I just wish church was like how it was in the, the beginning. And the first, they were hypocrites back then. <laughs> we're, we're, we're a bunch of hypocrites. We are. And Jesus knows that. Jesus knows it. And he takes, it takes all of that, all, all this. You know, here's the funny thing about this. You know, I, I've talked to so many people that say, listen, I, I don't, uh, you know, Lucas, you're, it's cool, it's great, but church just isn't for me. The, just the hypocrisy of the church. I'm like, I get that. I understand. But listen, if you come, it's still going to be a bunch of hypocrites because you're there. What do, you, what do you mean, Lucas? Well, you go to the bar, don't you? Yeah. You really think that bartender cares about your problems. Try not tipping him. <laughs> Try it and see what happens. But, but you don't, yeah, no, 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 no. Like, we live in this world that, like, you know, there's, there's, there's so many that, man, we're, we're, that try to paint this picture of us as Americans, or, or especially within Christianity, about being intolerant towards people and different, different things or different beliefs within our faith. Like, you're intolerant. But have you recognized some of these people that are preaching tolerance? They're preaching this tolerance, but they're intolerant to those that have an intolerance. Man, it's like, whoa, whoa hold on. You're, you're talking like, do you not even see? Well, let me give you a better example. You, you know, someone gets up and says, there's no such thing as absolute truth. Are you absolutely sure? Let that sink in for a second. That's like a slow burn. It takes a while. Because <laughs> I can explain it, but if you have to explain the joke, it doesn't. We're all, on some level, dealing with something. And maybe you came here this morning, and we sang that song, and it was so appropriate. If you come, and just the weight of sin is on your shoulders. And you're here, and on the outside, everyone's just, they think you're awesome. And maybe you've painted a picture to the ones around you where, man, people believe that you're better than you actually are. But you look in the mirror and you know you. And you know what's going on inside of your heart. And, and you, too, and you could come like Paul and you could say, listen, the trouble, I know I've blamed it on my pastor. I know I've blamed it on the church. I know I've blamed it on my spouse. But the trouble is with me. The trouble is with me. And Paul says, listen, all of this, all of this hypocrisy in me, in me, all of these things. But here's the thing. We all have it. But as Christians, what's different about us is the manner in which we deal with our hypocrisies. The manner in which we deal with them is not to be ones that in some ways we've been taught is to just cover them up. But no, we do like what Paul says, and we bring it into the open. We said, yes, man, I've fallen short. I've fallen short time and time again, and I've discovered this law that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. He's like, he's laying it all on the table. I listen, I know I've written these letters. I know all of you guys are coming to listen to me. I know all of you guys have heard this thing, but y'all need to know this too. Y'all need to know this as well. I've tried to do it, but I keep messing up. And he just leaves it and puts it in the open. 
And I think is if we, as the body of Christ, can stop trying to cover up our hypocrisy and we could just say, listen, this is what's going on. And then he poses this question. He says, what a miserable person I am. Who, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin? Who will free me? And this is what he says in verse 25. He says, thank God. The answer is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The answer is in Jesus Christ. And if you've come here and you've been dominated by the weight of sin, the answer is in Christ Jesus. The answer is in Christ Jesus. So it instantly begins to pose a few questions. But Lucas, man, that sounds great. Yes, uh, uh, I, I'm a Christian. I believe in God. I believe that by his stripes I'm healed. I believe he's overcome and I can do all these things. Then why am I, as a believer in Christ, why am I still struggling? Why am I still, how come I can't kick this drug habit? How come I can't stop lying? How come I can't stop pursuing these things? How come this pride keeps just welling up inside me? Why does it seem that I'm still struggling? I know that Christ has overcome it, but how come I can't seem to overcome it? I believe help, help. And so this morning, I want to give you a couple things about uh, overcoming temptation when we're faced with it. And to do so, I'm going to do it from the book of Matthew chapter 4, when the enemy is tempting Christ. Now, temptation in itself is not a sin. It's when we give into it. And there's this moment with all of us. We all have our own things. See, your struggle is different from my struggle. My struggle is different from your struggle. The thing that trips me up may be super easy to you. And the thing that you're struggling with might be super easy to me. See, we all have our own thing. And, and, and they all fall underneath those three categories that we read just a few moments ago in the book of 1 John. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. And in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is led out into the wilderness by the Spirit, and the enemy tempts him. Beginning with verse 3. Now during that time, the devil came and said to him, speaking of Jesus, If you're the Son of God... Let these stones become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no. The scripture says people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So he's tempting the flesh. Jesus was out there. He was fasting. He was hungry. Listen, you want to fulfill this thing, turn this stone into bread. He's tempting them through the flesh. Next, the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold, hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot with a stone. He's tempting them with the pride of life. And Jesus said, if you are who you say you are, you could do this because this is what will happen. Because it's all about you. Like this is, and then Jesus responds by saying, the scripture also says, you must not test the Lord your God. Now next, the devil took him to the peak of the very high mountain. He showed him all the kingdom's of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. If 
you'll kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scripture says you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. I'll give you three things when it comes to, to dealing with temptation and the sin that so easily besets us. Um, now, when I was writing this this week, this wasn't on purpose. But all three points begin with R. And I don't know if I've ever done that in the history of our church. Okay, like, I just, it's like kind of cliche, right? I got three points, and then they, okay, that was just, <sighs> hope maybe they'll remember them. So anyway, the first one is to recognize. Recognize what is happening. See, the enemy has come to Jesus, and he's tempted him in these three things. And But, see, he doesn't really let out the cat of the bag until the end. He says, like, oh, you could turn this, this stone into bread, and, like, Jesus, it's, kinda, it's for you. It'll help that hunger. Or you could do this. You could jump off of this, and then God's going to protect you because, yeah. But then at the end, he gets down to his real motives. If you will just worship me. See, those things that are tempting you in your life, See, it, it could appear like, oh, man, that, like, this is good and it'll help you. Or, or making this decision and going in this direction, like it, it's going to fulfill this need or, or, or satisfy this craving, this desire. But at the end of the day, you know what the enemy is after? He's after your worship. He's after you. He's after your worship. And it comes in a very subtle way. Have you ever confronted someone or, or been confronted by a situation where you could just tell, in the midst of this conversation, this person has ulterior motives. What they're saying, man, they might be saying all the right words, everything looks good, but just something is not right here. The other day, <laughs> I went out and I decided I want to purchase a chair for my office. Uh, I, I, want, I want a good chair. And so I literally, I had no idea Shalot has so many furniture stores. Shalot has like four or five furniture stores. I go to all of them, and, you know, you're instantly bombarded by the salesperson. I just, I, like, listen, I'm not, I don't want to be rude, but I'm going to come in here. I'm going to see the one I want. If I want it, that's the one I want. If I don't, I'm not going to buy no matter what you tell me. Um, and so I go, and I sit in every chair, and I go to every store, and just none of them. I just know when I sit in the chair, this is going to be the chair, and none of them. Go to Myrtle Beach. They got even more furniture stores, furniture store after furniture store. I finally sat in a chair that this is the chair. And so I give the lady the signal. I'm like, we're good now. Come on. You're, you're about to make a sale. And, and she comes on, and I'm like, I like this chair. Can you tell me, is this, is this a leather chair? Is this a real chair? And then, no, sir, this is vinyl. My heart just... And, and, she, and she, or no, or it was like pleather or something, or whatever it was. Yeah, whatever, yeah, junk, that's what it translates into, right? And I know half of y'all have them, like I have one too, I, not this one, I didn't buy that one. But, uh, and she's like, begins to tell me how the, the pleather and the vinyl is so much, oh, but, but, but sir, it's more durable, and, and if, if somebody cuts it, it's easier to repair. And like, she begins to try to sell me on this, and I'm like, listen, lady, I appreciate it, but here, I don't know if you know, I actually preached a sermon about fake chairs a long time ago. And, and I did, and you can find it on the podcast. Because I had the fake chair, and there's like little pieces of chair would fall off all over my house. 
and like they'd be stuck to me when I got up from the chair. I said, I made up my mind. I'm not buying another fake chair. It only lasted a couple years. I want a good chair. And if this thing can't come in leather, I don't want it. But sir, it's going to cost more money. I know it's going to cost more money, but I want a real chair. Well, let me see. And she comes back. I got great news. We could get this chair that you want in leather. I, I want it. You know, and, and she's talking, and then she begins to sell me on how much I'm going to love this chair. You tried to tell me that this other chair was the best chair in the world and the vinyl's so much better. And now that you know you could order this chair, all of a sudden this one's better. Ulterior motives. I can sense it. What's the point of that story? That the enemy works in furniture stores. That's the point. The point is, you got to look out for ulterior motives. The enemy comes in and he sells you something. Man, this sin is going to be great. This sin is going to fulfill that craving, that lust of the flesh, that lust of the eyes, that pride of life. It is going to fulfill and it's going to be so good. It's not. It's not. It's going to be a fake chair that follows you around for the rest of your life. I still got pieces of it stuck on me somewhere. I'm telling you, because that's what the enemy does. He takes a little bit of truth, and he twists it and wraps it into a lie. It's just like those Budweiser commercials, right? They always show, like, awesome people that are, like, super skinny on the beach. They never show, like, the big beer belly guy on his couch, like, have a Budweiser. Like, you know, like, that's the real deal. Like, that's, that's the real commercial. It's like the, ju- you know, the juicy juice, no juice. That's what it is. That's the enemy right there. Actually, just, just the other day. Um, we, me and Alan went, we went to this particular food, fast food franchise that I'm not saying the name of Taco Bell. And <laughs> we, we get our receipts. And I kid you not, at the bottom of the receipt, it says this. Yes, dreams do come true. <laughs> We are hiring. <laughs> and listen, if you work at Taco Bell, it's a great job. But if that's your dream job, you've got the wrong dream, y'all. It said, yes, dreams do come true. And then it said this, um, great competitive wages. And it, like, starts you out at minimum wage. Like, are, whoa, competitive to who? Like, minimum wage... What minimum wage says is if we could pay you less, we would. Like, and it's like selling this at the bottom of this ticket. And me and Alan are just laughing, and it was awesome. And again, the point of that is Taco Bell's the enemy. And <laughs> but like trying to sell you something, there's an ulterior motive. You know, the enemy will do it every time. He will tempt you. He will make it look great. He will make you think that, yes, your dream will come true. Yeah, you could go out and you could cheat on your wife. Dreams come true. It leads to death. And it leads to heartache and it leads to pain. And you're going to regret it. Recognize. The second thing is how we respond. Every time that Jesus is confronted with one of these temptations for the end, you know how he responds? He responds with the word of God. The scriptures say this. He responds with the word of God. There is nothing that will change your life more than getting in the word 
of God, of knowing his word for your life. Um, there was a study done. Uh, Willow Creek Community Church, Pastor Bill Hybels, wonderful pastor. I mean, back in the 90s, this church was kind of the church that set the standard for churches of just doing amazing kind of breakthrough things. Anyway, about maybe 10 years ago, uh, Bill stepped back and he said, listen, I want to take all of the things that we do as a church, and I, w- I just kind of want to know their spiritual effectiveness on making disciples. And they begin to do all these surveys and all of these studies. And you want to know what they found out? They found out this, that everything that they were doing as a church, and they just had hundreds of ministries. They had all different kind of things that, could, that, that they could be doing and, and trying to make people better disciples, better followers of Jesus Christ. You could take everything that they did as a church, put all that together, and it doesn't even come close to if they just got people in the Word of God. That if they got people in the Word of God, their, their, their spiritual growth and spiritual trajectory with their relationship with Christ was exponential. That they, they received far more than all of the women's ministries, all of the men's ministries, all of the kids' ministries, all of this and all of that, all of that put together wasn't even close to just getting the Bible embedded into people. And it's kind of, I mean, on the surface, it's obvious, right? It's like, yeah, it's so easy to get, like, mixed up with other stuff. And, and I want you to know, like, that is our strategy as a church for making disciples. As we want to do everything we can to embed the word of God in your life. Everything we can to embed scripture in everything we do. Man, because there's life in this. And that's why I love it when I could, I could open the scriptures and I could, I could read this passage from Paul. And he says, listen, the problem's with me. I'm all too human. I'm struggling, man, because, man, it's real. But then he just doesn't leave us hanging there. He gives us the answer, thinking that the answer is in Christ Jesus. Man, you want to know how to overcome and get in the word of God. Get in the word of God. Let, let God's word just be a part of everything that you do. Recognize, respond, and remember. Remember the big picture. Remember what he says over there in 1 John. All the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, all of this stuff that the world has to offer and says is so good, it's all fading away. It's all fading away. Got a little illustration here. So kind of imagine, yeah, yeah you might want to watch out. Imagine this. Now, I've I think I kind of, I might have done this once before, so if you saw this, act like you haven't. <laughs> so imagine this is a timeline. And actually, I think I saw this from Francis Chan. This is a timeline, and this is, this is humanity on a timeline as we know it. And Jim, do you mind just holding this here for a moment? So all, 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 all of humanity, from, from creation's beginning, from Adam and Eve to where we are at now. Everybody uh, finding themselves along this line. Do you know that we live in a time in history where 99 point whatever percent of all of humanity 
of every person that's walked this planet, that's gone before us, they lived in a time where they didn't flip a switch. They didn't jump in a car. They didn't just, boom, electricity. They didn't take a, a flight. They didn't get to Google it. They don't have no cell phones. And so for our, our portion of history and life as we know it amounts to about this. This amount of all of the people that have gone before us. And we live in a time and a season where, man, just this moment. And we begin to believe that, man, everybody's lived like this. Everybody's kind of had this standard and this way of living. Listen, if, 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 if I'm hot, I just adjust the air conditioner. Man, if we're going to cook dinner, we just pop it in the oven. We just press the microwave. You want to travel, I just jump in my car. Man, we, I was talking to uh, Kevin the other day, and we were talking about this TV show. So, like, could you imagine, like, the amount of time it would take to just survive? No grocery store? Imagine if right now you were responsible for your next meal, not Walmart. You had to grow your own crop. Son, I'd be starving. <laughs> I don't have the green thumb. I have the black thumb. Just kill somebody. I would have to, like, hook up with somebody that is, like, good, and I'll just be the preacher. And, you know, I work one hour a week, and this, you know, <laughs> another joke. Woo! Okay, so... <laughs> All of this. Because it's like, even with this, remember, it's passing away. Thanks, Jim. It's passing away. The writer in the book of Ecclesiastes says, listen, it's, it's but a vapor. It's but a moment. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. Remember growing up, so many people would say, oh, man, it just goes by so fast. And I always thought when I was younger, I thought, man, this they're crazy. And then, and then I had kids, and Kobe's turning five. Oh, she is five. She's starting school this year. Like just the other day, I was driving her home from the hospital. That moment Kyle and Michelle are getting ready to have here in just a month from now. Michelle's getting ready to have this, this baby boy. And there's this moment as a parent, and you, you got some of y'all know it, where you leave the hospital and you put that car seat in the car for the first time, and you're driving home slower than you've ever driven before. <laughs> and all you can think about is, why is everyone going so fast? Slow down, there's babies in the car. And then you fast forward five years, and you're like, kid, get in the car seat. Come on, go, 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 go. Right, because it goes fast. Now, when you're in the midst of it, it seems like it's slow seems like it's taking forever. You talk to the ladies when they're in their nine months of the pregnancy, man, if this baby could just get out of me, right? It's taking forever. But it's a vapor. It's a moment. This whole life, he says, listen, it's all fading away. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, those things, some of those things that you're pursuing so hard, they're fading away. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. But here's the thing. Here's what I don't want you to leave here thinking. That you, you've, you've come in and, and, and 
there's some, there's some sin issues. There's some things that you're dealing with your, with your life. I don't want you to go home thinking that, oh, well, I could, just, I could do my little checkbox, my three R's, and it's going to be okay. I could recognize, I could respond with the scripture, I could remember, I could, I could do these, and we're going to overcome it. Nope. You will fail. You will. Because there's only one way. And Paul says, listen, I thank God that the answer is in Christ Jesus. He's going to do the work. He is going to do the work inside of you. The answer is in Christ Jesus. So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. You have been freed from it by the power of Jesus Christ. And he can do it. This has been a presentation of Coastal Vineyard Church, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information on who we are and how you can support future podcasts, visit us on the web at www.coastalvineyard.org. Come on, be.